Chapters 19 through 21 of History of Rome from the Earliest Times down to 476 AD by Robert F. Pennell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tony Richardson. Chapter 19 The Third Punic War and Fall of Carthage. Fifty years had passed since Zama. It was a period of great commercial prosperity for Carthage, but her government was weakening by the quarrels of conflicting factions. Massinissa, king of Numidia, an ally of the Romans, was a continual source of annoyance to Carthage. He made inroads upon her territory, and as she was bound by her treaty not to war upon any allies of Rome, her only recourse was to complain to the Senate. In 157, an embassy was sent to inquire into the troubles. Marcus Portius Cato, the chief of the embassy, was especially alarmed at the prosperity of the city and from that time never ceased to urge its destruction. The embassy did not reach any decision but they allowed matters to go on as they might. Finally, when some sympathizers with Massinissa were banished from the city, he attacked and defeated the Carthaginians, compelled their army to pass under the yoke, and afterwards treacherously destroyed it in 150. Carthage was compelled to give up some of her territory, and pay five million dollars indemnity. After this victory, matters came to a crisis. The city must be disciplined for warring with an ally of Rome. Cato never failed to close any speech he might make in the Senate with the same cruel words, Delinda Escatago, Carthage must be destroyed. The people of Carthage were called to account desponding and broken-hearted, they sent ambassadors to Rome. The answers given them was obscure. They were requested to make reparation to Rome, and at the same time they were assured that nothing should be undertaken against Carthage herself. But in 149 the consuls crossed with a large army into Sicily, where the troops were organized and the Carthaginian ambassadors were expected. When they appeared, the consuls declared that the Senate did not wish to encroach upon the freedom of the people, but only desired some security. For this purpose, it demanded that, within thirty days, three hundred children of the noblest families should be delivered into their hands as hostages. This demand was met. Romans then coolly crossed over to Africa and informed the Carthaginians that they were ready to treat with them on any question not previously settled. When the ambassadors again appeared before the consuls, they were told that Carthage must deliver over all her arms and artillery. For, they said, as Rome was able to protect her, there was no need of Carthage possessing arms. 
Hard as was this command, it was obeyed. They were then told that Carthage had indeed shown her good will, but that Rome had no control over the city so long as it was fortified. The preservation of peace, therefore, required that the people should quit the city, give up their navy, and build a new town without walls at a distance of ten miles from the sea. The indignation and fury which this demand excited were intense. The gates were instantly closed, and all the Romans and Italians who happened to be within the city were massacred. The Romans, who expected to find a defenseless population, imagined that the storming of the place would be an easy matter, but despair had suggested to the Carthaginians means of defense in every direction. All assaults were repelled. Everybody was engaged day and night in the manufacture of arms. Nothing can be more heart-rending than this last struggle of despair. Every man and every woman labored to the utmost for the defense of the city with a furious enthusiasm. Two years after the siege began, Publius Cornelius Scipio Africanus, the younger, was elected consul while but thirty-seven, under the legal age, for the express purpose of giving him charge of the siege. After two years of desperate fighting and splendid heroism on the part of the defenders, the famished garrison could hold out no longer. Carthage fell in 146, and the ruins of the city burned for 17 days. The destruction was complete. A part of her territory was given to Numidia. The rest was made a Roman province and called Africa. The year 149 saw the death of two men who had been Carthage's most bitter enemies, but who were not allowed to see her downfall. Masinissa and Cato, the one aged 90 and the other 85. Masinissa's 239-149 hostility dates from the time he failed to get the promised hand of Hasdrubal's daughter, Sophonisba, who was given to his rival, Sphinx. After the Battle of Zama, most of the possessions of Sphinx fell uh, to Masinissa, and among them this same Sophonisba, whom he married. Scipio, however, fearing her influence over him, demanded her as a Roman captive, whereupon she took poison. Masinissa was a courageous prince, but a convenient tool for the Romans. Cato the Elder, Major, 234-149, to 149, whose long public career was a constant struggle with the enemies of the state abroad and with the fashions of his countrymen at home, was a type of the old Roman character, with a stern sense of duty that forbade his neglecting the interests of state, farm, or household. In 184, in his capacity as censor, he acted with extreme rigor, 
he zealously asserted old-fashioned principles and opposed the growing tendency to luxury all innovations were in his eyes little less than crimes he was the author of several works one of which a treatise on agriculture has been preserved cicero's cato major represents him in his eighty-fourth year discoursing about old age with africanus the younger and laelius a friend of the latter chapter twenty rome and spain the numantine and servile wars two o six to one thirty two africanus the elder left spain in two o six after a provincial government of nine years two o six to one ninety seven the country was divided into two provinces separated by the iberus ebro and each province was assigned to a praetor it was some time however before spain was really brought into a state of complete peace and order the mountains and forests were a formidable obstacle to the roman legions and favored guerrilla warfare which makes conquest slow and laborious the most warlike of the spanish tribes was the Celtiberi, who occupied the interior of the peninsula. They were always uncertain and intractable, continually breaking out into new revolt. In 195, Cato the Elder put down a rebellion led by them. He established more firmly the Roman power east of the Iberus, he disarmed the inhabitants of this part of Spain and compelled all from the Pyrenees to the Guadalquivir to pull down their fortifications. Still the smothering fires of rebellion were not extinguished, for sixteen years later, in 179, we find Tiberius Sempronius Gracchus, the father of the famous Greci, as governor of Spain, fighting the troublesome Celtiberi. He captured over 100 of their towns, but tempered his victories with moderate measures, showing himself greater in peace than in war. He granted to the poor classes lands on favorable conditions and did much to produce contentment among the natives. But far the west, in the valleys of the Duro and Tagus, and in Lusitania, Portugal, there seems to have been constant warfare. In 154, Mumius, the same who eight years later sacked Corinth, was governor of farther Spain. His defeat by the Lusitanians encouraged the Celtiberi to revolt again and there followed another defeat with a massacre of many roman citizens two years later in 152 claudius marcellus avenged these losses founded cordoba and governed the country humanely his successors lucius lucullus and servius galba 
were so cruel and grasping as to drive the Lusitanians into another open rebellion, headed by Veriathus, a bold and daring bandit. During seven years, 147 to 140, he defeated again and again the armies sent against him. The Celtiberi joined his standards, and Spain seemed likely to slip from the Romans. The only check to these successes was during the command of Metellus Macedonicus in 143. When he was recalled, matters returned to their former condition. In 140, the consul Mancinus was obliged to capitulate and, to save himself and his army, made a treaty which the Senate refused to sanction. Viriathus was finally, in 139, assassinated by persons hired by the consul Capio. His people were then subdued, and the government was ably conducted in 138 by Decimus Junius Brutus. The Numantine War in 143-133. The Celtiberi, however, were still in arms. The strong city of Numantia, the capital of one of their tribes, witnessed more than one defeat of a Roman consul before its walls in 141-140. Finally, Rome sent out her best general, Africanus the Younger. After devoting several months to the discipling of his troops, he began in 134 a regular siege of the place. It was defended with the utmost bravery and tenacity until, forced by the last extreme of famine, it surrendered in 133. The inhabitants were sold as slaves, and the town was leveled to the ground. The victor was honored with the title Numantinus. The fall of Numantia gave Rome a hold upon the interior of Spain, which was never lost. The country now, with the exception of its northern coasts, was normally Roman territory. Several towns were established with Latin municipal rights, municipia, and, on the whole, order was maintained along the coast of the mediterranean there sprang up many thriving and populous towns which became centers of civilization to the neighboring districts and were treated by rome rather as allies than as subjects some of them were allowed to coin the silver money of rome the civilizing process due to roman influence went on rapidly in these parts while the interior remained in barbarism in 105 the peninsula was overrun by the cimbri a barbarous race from the north the country was ravaged but finally saved by the brave celtiberi who forced the invaders back into gaul the servile war in 134 to 132 while the Numantine War was still in progress, a war with the slaves broke out in Sicily, where they had been treated with special barbarity. For a long time, slave labor had been taking the place of that of free men. The supply was rendered enormous by constant wars 
and by the regular slave trade carried on with the shores of the black sea in greece the owners of the slaves became an idle aristocracy the immediate cause of the outbreak in sicily was the cruelty of a wealthy slave owner demophilus the leader of the slaves was eunice who pretended to be a syrian prophet a number of defeats were suffered by the roman armies until finally publius rutilius captured the strongholds of the slaves terominium and ena and thus closed the war for his success he was allowed an ovation chapter twenty one internal history the Graeci. we have seen how the long struggle between the patricians and plebeians terminated in a normal victory for the latter from about two seventy five the outward form of the old constitution had undergone little change it was nominally that of a moderate democracy the senate and officers of state were in law open to all alike in practice however the constitution became an oligarchy the senate not the comitius ruled rome moreover the senate was controlled by classes who claimed all the privileges of a nobility the comitias were rarely called upon to decide a question most matters were settled by a decree of the senate senatus consultum to be sure the comitia declared for war or peace but the senate conducted the war and settled the conditions of peace it also usually assigned the commands organized the provinces and managed the finances the causes for this ascendancy of the senate are not hard to find it was a body made up of men capable of conducting affairs it could be convened at any time whereas the voters of the comitias were scattered all over italy and if assembled would not be competent to decide questions demanding knowledge of military matters and foreign policy the senate and the roman nobility were in the main the same all patricians were nobles but all nobles were not patricians the patricians were the descendants of the original founders of the city the nobles were the descendants of any one who had filled one of the following six curial offices namely dictator magister equitum consul interrex praetor or curial adeli these nobles possessed the right to place in their hall or carry in funeral processions a wax mask of this ancestor and also of any other member of the family who had held a curule office a plebeian who first held this office was called a novus homo or new man the senate thus made up of patricians and nobles had at this time the monopoly of power legally however it had no positive authority the right of the people to govern was still valid 
and there was only wanting a magistrate with the courage to remind them of their legal rights and urge the exercise of them such a magistrate was found in tiberius sempronius gracchus with him was ushered in the contest which lasted for more than a century and brought to the surface some of the proudest names of roman history on one side or the other we find them marius and sulla caesar and pompey augustus and antony arraying rome against herself until the glories of the republic were swallowed up in the misrule and dishonor of the empire tiberius sempronius gracchus the elder see chapter twenty belonged to the nobility but not to the aristocracy he married cornelia the daughter of africanus the elder they had twelve children of whom all but three died young two sons and a daughter lived to maturity the daughter sempronia married africanus the younger the sons tiberius and gaius grew up under the care of their noble and gifted mother who was left a widow when they were mere boys tiberius one sixty four to one thirty three entered the army and served under his brother-in-law during the third punic war ten years later in one thirty six he was quaestor in Spain, where he won the affections of the people by adhering to the mild policy which his father had previously followed. His popular measures here displeased his brother-in-law, and he ceased to be a favorite with him. On his return home, he passed through Tuscany, where he was astonished to see large tracts of the Agar Publicus, see chapter seven cultivated by slave gangs while the free poor citizens of the republic were wandering in towns without employment and deprived of the land which according to law see the lucinian rogations should have been divided among them and not held in large quantities by the rich landowners Tiberius determined to rectify this wrong. In 133, he offered himself as candidate for the tribuneship and was elected. He then began boldly to battle for the commons. He proposed to revise the agrarian law, now a dead letter, which forbade the holding of more than 320 acres of the Agar Publicus by one individual occupants who had fenced this land and improved it were to be compensated therefor the wealthy classes and the senate at once took sides against tiberius and the struggle began one of the other tribunes octavius cassina who was himself a large landowner taking advantage of his authority as tribune interposed his veto to prevent a vote upon the question gracchus full of enthusiasm over the justice of his cause obtained contrary to all precedent the removal of his colleague 
from office and passed his agrarian law. Three commissioners were appointed, himself, his brother, and his father-in-law, Appius Claudius, to carry it into effect. It was contrary to the law that a person should hold the office of tribune for two successive years. But Gracchus, in his desire to carry out his plans, determined to violate this rule, and offered himself as candidate for the next year. The election day came, and when it became evident that he would be re-elected, the aristocrats who had turned out in full force on the campus Martius with their retinues of armed slaves and clients raised a riot and, killing Gracchus, with three hundred of his followers, threw their bodies into the Tiber in 133. Thus was shed the first blood of the civil struggle. The mob was led by Scipio Nasica, the uncle of Tiberius. Africanus, when he heard of the murder of his brother-in-law, exclaimed, Justly slain. The agrarian law, however, which had passed, was too evidently just to be openly ignored. The remaining two commissioners continued their work until, within two years, 40,000 families were settled on tracts of the public land which the patricians were compelled to vacate. But the commissioners became unpopular, for those who received lands were not always satisfied, and those who were obliged to leave them were enraged. The commissioners were suspended, and the law repealed. The mantle of Tiberius fell on Gaius Gracchus. For a time after his brother's death, he retired from politics and served in the army in Africa and Sardinia, where he was quaestor. His valor, wisdom, and justice made him justly popular, but caused him to be regarded with suspicion at Rome. In 123 he was elected tribune and twice re-elected. He revived his brother's agrarian law and became at once the avowed enemy of the Senate. As a means of increasing his popularity, he endeavored to admit all the Italians to the privileges of Roman citizenship and to limit the price of bread. Gains gained the favor of the equities, knights, in commercial class by carrying through the assembly a law by which all judicial functions were taken from the Senate and entrusted to the knights. Heretofore, all civil and criminal cases of importance had been tried before a jury chosen from the Senate. These juries were often venal and corrupt and it was a notorious fact that their verdicts could be bought. The transferring of the juries to the equites made Gaius for a time very powerful. He caused another law to be passed to the effect that no Roman citizen should be put to death without legal trial and an appeal to the assembly of the people. But the plan of Gaius to extend the franchise to all the Italians 
ruined his popularity. The Roman citizen had no desire to share their rights with the Etruscans and Samnites. Rights again broke out, as ten years before. The aristocracy again armed itself. Gaius, with 3,000 of his friends, was murdered in 121, and the Senate was once more master of the situation. However, the results obtained by the Graeci still remained. 40,000 peasants had been settled on public land. The jury law was in force. No Roman citizen could be put to death without trial unless the state was held to be in danger. Nearly all Roman writers unite in attacking the reputation of the Graeci, but viewed in the light of today, their characters were noble and their virtues too conspicuous to be obscured. A few years previous to this, the younger Africanus died in 129. His remark about the certain death of Tiberius Gracchus gave dire offense to the popular party, and a few days later he was found dead in his bed, probably a victim of political assassination. Africanus was a man of refinement and culture, a warm friend of scholars, a patron of the Greek historian Polybius, and of the poets Lucilius and Terence. He was opposed to the tendency of his age towards luxury and extravagance. He was an orator as well as a general. The one blot on his career is the terrible destruction of Carthage, which he possibly might have averted had he shown firm opposition to it. Scipio Nasica, who led the mob against Tiberius, was compelled through Pontifex Maximus to leave the city and died in exile in Asia. The end of chapter 21.